is contagious. And I love that. I love that about teenagers. Thank you. Oh, my God, an awesome week. It was great to hear. I can't wait to hear more about it in the uh, weeks, days, days to come. Um, one, one thing we uh, try to do is uh, find ways to enhance our time of worship. And uh, uh, we came across uh, something uh, this week, if I can get to it. If you, have, if you use your phone uh, for the Bible, whenever we turn to scriptures, you use your phone. Uh, one thing that I think may enhance our, your time uh, of worship here, and as you prepare, getting, getting ready, um, is a thing called uh, events on, on the, the Bible app, version app. It's the most popular one. It'll say Holy Bible. And if, if this is something that would enhance your time of worship, something that you might be interested in, love for you. Um, to, to find that. If you go to version in the bottom right corner, it says more, and then it'll say events. On my phone, it's the second one down. And uh, then at the top, it says Wellspring Church, Jonah, week three. You can tap on that, and then it has all the verses there. It also allows you to get to our website easily, uh, all the verses we're going to look at today. If that's something that would help you, we would love for you to use that. We're going to put the, the verses uh, each week. Mary Jo will take those verses, put that on there, and then you can read them as you prepare for our time together, and then you can use that that um, during our time of worship as we're following uh, through the book of Jonah or whatever text we ha- we happen to be in that week. So uh, that's for you. Hopefully that will help you enhance our time of worship, your time of worship, as we uh, as we walk through God's Word each week. If you're having a hard time finding that, right after the service, if you just go to the Connection Center, it's that desk right to the right when you go through the double doors. Uh, Jordan will be there. He'd love to help you. I saw him helping a few people um, after the first service uh, this morning, and he can help you find that, so you can you can find that each each Sunday uh, for, uh, for for our time of worship here. All right, let's pray, and then we're jumping in to Jonah, our third week in Jonah. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, our time together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of uh, worshiping you with others that love you and desire to see you glorified. Lord, I I pray that you'd speak to us as we open your word, that you change us. Lord, speak to us at this time. Lord, I thank you for the great week that you gave our students. And the work that you're doing in their lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Jonah chapter 3. The first two weeks... That we have been in Jonah, we've seen that uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the, 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 the biggest, most, uh, the cruelest uh, city in the known world, the, the biggest, baddest city on the block. I want you to go to them, and I want you to tell them I'm going to destroy their city if they don't repent. And he said no to God. His, his worldview was, was crashed. I mean, it was it, it collided with God's word. And he chose to, to say no to God and to continue in his, his worldview. And what was most important to him was being an Israelite, being a prophet, being a, a leader. That was more important than going to a lost and a dying world, a lost city, people who didn't know Christ. And so he said no to the Ninevites. Or he said no to God. Whenever he commanded Jonah to go to the Ninevites. And instead he ran the opposite direction. He went down to Joppa. Jumped on a ship. His ship got into a, uh, uh, 
a, a storm. They picked him up. They threw him overboard. And at that point, God appointed a fish or a whale, depending on your view, um, a fish to jump, uh, to, to uh, swallow uh, Jonah, Jonah up. We saw last week that God is abundant in his grace. He is abundant in his grace. But he is thorough in his discipline. When we, when we say no to God, he disciplines those that he loves. And he does so thoroughly. He changes us to the core with his discipline. But renews us, brings us back. With his grace. And so this morning, last week we saw his thoroughness of discipline. This morning we're going to see how his grace, his abundant grace, actually stretches further than his discipline. You cannot outrun his grace. You cannot outsend his grace. And we're going to see that in Jonah's life this morning. So, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 2. That'll help kind of set the stage. And then we'll jump into chapter 3. Jonah chapter 2. Verse 10 says this, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Verse 1 of chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, aren't you grateful for second chances? Man, I'll tell you what I am. I am grateful for second chances. And that's exactly what God Gave Jonah. He came to Jonah the first time. We don't know how. We don't know if it was in a dream, if it was audible. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he came the first time, and Jonah said no. But God's abundant grace, his grace that stretches further than our sin. God is abundant in his grace, and he shows that. He illustrates that to us in Jonah's life by coming a second time. You are here this morning, and you're wondering, can I, can I, can I come back? Is, does God still love me? Does his grace Stretch further than my sin, and the answer is unequivocal. Yes, he offers a second chance to us, just as he did to Jonah. Came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. Now, here's the thing about God's second chances. He brings us back right to the point where we said no. With God, there's no, uh, we don't come to God and and say, you you know, um, we're we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this one. All right, we we don't, we don't, irreconcilable differences with God do not exist. Jonah couldn't come to God and say, hey, here's the deal. I'm not going to run anymore, but the Ninevites, I I don't like them, so you're going to have to send somebody else. Let's just agree to disagree on these people. That's not how God works with his second chances. He brings us right back to the place that we disobeyed, right back to the place that we um, said no. And we have to do business with God right there, and we do it obediently. We follow his commands. We follow his words. So he came back and said, a second time. He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And here's his response in the next verse. So Jonah arose. And went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I love that. I love that. Jonah, his heart was was broken. Now we're gonna see in a few minutes that that it wasn't that God still had work to do in Jonah's heart, not this week, but in, in the weeks to come. 
But but Jonah obeyed the Lord. I'll tell you what. I, I one of the my favorite things about being a parent. One of my favorite things about being a parent is when when my kids disobey. That's not my favorite part. But I'm getting to it in a second. When my kids disobey, and and you confront them about it, and I mean I, many times I'm angry about it. But when I see real brokenness, and it, mainly in my eight-year-old, my three-year-old, she's just too stubborn. No, she's not old enough yet. And, and I'm looking forward to that for her. But I love when Grayson, I mean, when you can see that his heart is broken. And it's usually, when, when with Grayson, it's usually with people. Like he'll, just, just this past week, I wouldn't even plan to tell this, but just this past week, he, he um, uh, was... He was out riding bikes with his friends, with his neighborhood friends. And he said something to a boy that, that, that just struck me as, as unkind. I mean, it really was. It was unkind. And afterwards, I brought him in and, I, and I, I confronted him about it. And he didn't just say, he didn't just say that, that, that he was sorry to me because I was his dad and he was in trouble. No, he was broken over it. Like he knew he had, he had hurt his neighbor, his friend's feelings because of something he said. And he was truly broken over it. And as a dad, seeing his heart move that way is awesome for me. One of my favorite things about being a parent. And you know your Heavenly Father, who's a much better dad than I am to Grayson, loves to see that in us. When when he comes to us a second time, and in that second uh, word, in, in, in the, the, when we come back after being disobedient and our hearts are broken, we're contrite, we are repentant. He loves to see that in his kids. He invites us back and we, he invites us back to the point that we disobey. And when we are contrite, when we bend our heart, we bend our knee, we repent. As our daddy loves to see. Now, going on, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he calls out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Next verse. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Next verse. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Let them, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So, Jonah comes to Nineveh. At this point, Jonah has probably spent about 550 miles by himself. From the point that that Jonah was spit out of the the belly of the fish. And he says, God, I'm going to obey you this time. He begins a journey that was at best, the shortest shortest length between that point and Nineveh was 550 miles. So he spent 
days, weeks, even months, by himself, walking towards Nineveh. When he gets to the gates of Nineveh, he walks inside, and he goes about a day's journey in. He's, he's about the middle, the heart of the city. And when he gets there, he has an eight-word sermon. Here's, here's the sermon. Here's all he says. See if I can find it. It says this, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all he says. In the, in the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. So he walks into the middle of the city, and he, his heart's not even in it. We're going to find out in, a, in the next chapter. He, he, he doesn't give them anything. He doesn't tell them what to do. I mean, that's like, that's like you know, preaching 101. You give a movement. You give a response. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, you got 40 days, and then you're going to be overthrown. And what do they do? How do they respond to that? They're repentant. What brought them to that point? We don't know. I mean, how did they, how did they even connect the dots? We don't know. Here's what we do know. We know that, that the sovereign God of the universe was working in their hearts. And extra biblical um, scholars and extra historical books tell us that there were some other things going on. And this is outside of the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us this exactly, so take it for what it's worth. This may or may not have contributed to their, to, to their hearts being ready to hear this word from Jonah. But here's what we know historically. We know that there were several other cities that had kind of collaborated together with their armies. And they were a day's journey outside of the walls of Nineveh. And they were collaborating to come together and to attack Nineveh. There's no doubt that the leaders in Nineveh knew that this was about to take place. In addition to that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, historians tell us that there was, that there was some astrological activity taking place. Uh, kind of going on at that time the the, the, the sun um, the stars they were doing some weird things in the sky and they looked to that a lot at that time uh, and so that may have contributed as well we don't know for sure the Bible doesn't tell us but here's what we do know that their hearts had been prepared by the sovereign God of the universe and when Jonah showed up they responded by faith, and they were a broken people. Jonah did not care about these people. He didn't put his heart into this sermon. He just obeyed to the minimum point, and God took that sermon five words long, and he changed a city. And when the king heard, he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to all fast. This entire city is going to fast. Not only the people, but the beasts also. I mean, everybody is going to fast. I want everybody to put on sackcloth. And we're going to all fast. Now, what did, the, what, what, what did the cattle do? I mean, what did the cows do? Nothing. But why, why, would, he, why would he make the cows um, have, have, have a fast as well? Well, here's what I know about cows. Not a lot, but here's what I do know. <laughs> when they don't eat, they moo a lot. 
And can you imagine as this city is in mourning and they're crying out in mourning over uh, the brokenness of their sins? Joining in this mourning, joining in this 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 um, declaration to the God of the universe are even the cattle. The cows are moving along with the people contributing to this mourning a brokenness over the sin that they have committed. Even the livestock join in. Because these people have been changed to the core and respond in repentance. Next verse. This is my favorite verse in this chapter. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I love that. God had a plan, the sovereign God of the universe, the God who nothing escapes his mind, nothing escapes his eye, nothing escapes his hand, had a plan. And the, these, these people, these sinful people, this broken people now, offered repentance, offered prayers, offered mourning to the God of the universe, and he changed his mind. We just talked about that a few weeks ago. That when the, the people are broken, when they come to him in prayer, that the, the Bible tells us, the Word of God tells us that there are times that God, the sovereign God of the universe, changes his mind because of it. And this is a great example. God planned to destroy them, but they turned their backs. They, they turned their, their backs from their sin, and they turned to God in mourning, in repentance, and God spared them. He changed his mind. I love that. This morning, there's a few ways that I could take this, this text. But I want to just take the most obvious route of what's going on here. And that's this. In this story and all throughout the scriptures, we see that God uses his people sharing his word to reach a lost and dying world with his good news. You see this over and over and over again. That God uses people, human beings, you and me, to reach a lost and a dying world with his good news. He uses people sharing God's word to reach a lost and a dying world. And you see this pattern over and over and over again. That's exactly what he did with Jonah. So understanding that that's a reality, that that's true, that we see this pattern throughout the scriptures, I just want to share with you two things, two things that that outflow from this truth, from this reality. Number one is this, and this is great news for us, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I mean, after all, Jonah walked into the city. He didn't even care about these people. He He didn't care if they perished. He didn't care if they repented. He didn't even want them to hear this this message initially. He walked into the city and he said eight words, five actually in the Hebrew, five words. He was just doing this because he didn't want to go back to the belly of a fish. 
And God used that message, that short message, and it became so real to these people, to the Ninevites. It became so real, so life-changing that they changed their, uh, that, that they repented, and it changed their life. He took this small, short message and transformed everything in the city of Nineveh. When they responded by faith to the message. This is great news. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When we allow God to use us to be the people that take his word to a lost and dying world, the results are not left up to us. God is the one who saves. It's his message. He is the one who saves. Not us. We can't save ourselves by doing good works, by doing anything, except for accepting the message by faith. And we cannot save anybody else. Only God can do that. So our job, as we're going to see in just a minute, our job is just to share the, the, the good news. It's God's job to do the saving. It's the people who hear the, the message to respond by faith. To, to humble their heart by faith to the message. And then God does the saving. He does the work from there. It's only our job to share the good news. So if we're passionate about it, and it fails, that's not on us. We have been obedient to share the good news, the word, to a lost and a dying world. Salvation, number one is this, the results, the salvation, belongs to the Lord. We only have to be obedient in sharing it. That leads us to point number two, and that's this. Faith, salvation, comes only by hearing. Romans 10, 17 says this. It says, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, or through the word of the Lord. So God's instrument of life is his word, sharing it. The word of, of God is not just information or commands. It, the, the word of God is power that transforms lives. And it doesn't transforms lot, transform lives until people hear, hear it. Until they hear it. It doesn't transform anybody's life until they hear it. And they can respond to it by faith. And so our command, our command throughout the scripture is just take that word to a lost and a dying world. And all throughout the scriptures, he always uses human beings. God always uses human beings to take that word to people. Let me show you this truth very, very quickly. In Acts, you see this, this method, or you see this, this uh, 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 you see this happen time and time and time again. This is customary. It's just the, rather, the, the regular rhythm of how God takes his, his good news to a lost and a dying world. He always uses people like you and I. Let me, give you, let me show you. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. You might, just, you, you might just write it down and you can read it this week. Cornelius, he, he is hanging out at his house and, and an angel comes to him. A message comes to him. And he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to send a guy to give you more information. He'd been seeking Christ. He'd been seeking God. He'd been, he knew that there was more to life than he, what he had experienced. And God said, I'm about to bring you more information. 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to send some of your servants across the city. I'll show them which houses to go to. They're going to find a man there, and they're going to bring him back to you. At the exact time that, that, that Cornelius was receiving this vision or this, this dream, God also came to a guy named Peter and said, Hey, here's what I want you to do. There's going to be somebody that comes to the door. I want you to go with them, and I want you to give this guy who I'm going to... Who these men are going to take you to? I want you to give them him more information. He's seeking me. He wants to know me. He, he's longing to know what it means to have a life that has infinite value. And I want you to share with him. His, it, it, God doesn't tell him his name is Cornelius, but it's going to be a guy named Cornelius. I want you to share with him what life of infinite value looks like that is found only in me. It's found only in in in, in my death, burial, and resurrection. And I want you to take that good news to him. And then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10 that that's exactly how it unfolds. These guys show up at Peter's house. Peter follows them and he gives Cornelius more information. And he responds by faith to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't it have been easier if God had just given him the the rest of the information in that dream? I mean, after all, God would be much better at it than I am. I mean, he wouldn't leave anything out. And I may. But that's not how God, the rhythm of the scriptures is that every time somebody responds by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a person, a broken human being like you and I, are the ones who present the gospel to him. Or to her. You need more, uh, more, uh, another example, an additional example. Acts chapter 9, we see it again. Acts chapter 9, uh, some, some uh, guy named Paul, who was named Saul at the time. He's on the road to Damascus, you know the story. He comes in contact with Jesus, the Savior of the world. He's knocked off his horse. And what happens? Does Jesus give him the rest of the information right there? No. He says, I want you to go on into the city, and th- there's going to be a house there that I have appointed for you. And I'm going to send a guy named Ananias. And he's going to come to the door, and he's going to give you the rest of the information. And you, by faith, respond to the gospel at that point. That's how it unfolds. Why why didn't God just give him more information right there on the road to Damascus? I mean, after all, he would be better at it than you and I, right? I mean, he's not going to miss anything. He's not going to leave anything out. But the regular rhythm of the scriptures is that people hear the word of the Lord by a human being and are given the opportunity to respond accordingly. I could keep going. Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip. The same thing. God uses, supernaturally, uses a human being to present the gospel. Wouldn't it have been easier just to do it in a dream? From my perspective, yes. But the regular rhythm of the scriptures is that people hear the gospel from another human being and respond accordingly. Just this week, I was sitting in... Uh, my, my car was getting inspected. So I was, I was in a shop while my car was being inspected. And I actually had on a Wellspring shirt, and an older gentleman to my right saw it and said, Hey... 
what's up with, with your shirt, Wellspring Church? Church, what, what, what's that? What's that about? Where's that located? What, I mean, what's what's going on there? And I use that as an opportunity to share the gospel. He didn't, he didn't know that I work here. He didn't know anything about me except for that I attend here. And I use that as an opportunity to share the gospel. And after I had presented the gospel, he said, you know, I appreciate that, but that's just not for me. And I left broken, my heart was broken for this gentleman. But I was reminded of these two truths. Number one is this, the results are never up to me. They're never up to me. God is the one who saves people. We can't save ourselves. We don't save other people. All we do is we present the good news because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And so I am obedient. When God gives me opportunities, I'm obedient to share, but I leave the results up to him. And I, and I trust that, that, that whenever I, I present it, that they will respond by faith to it. To the message. That's all that I'm accountable for. Is to be obedient. To share. And leave the results up to God. Now this morning. You, you might be here and you may, may be going okay. Here's the thing Scott. This is what the world hates about us. I mean let's be honest. I mean, this is what. This is what they hate about us. I mean they, they hate the, the fact that. That. Um, we try to, that, 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 that the church tries to convert them to be like us. And, and if I'm honest, I, many times I'm as uncomfortable sharing as they are hearing. But here's what we see in the scriptures time and time and time again. That even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs them something, People are obedient to share the good news. So as I close, here's the question. When's the last time you've been obedient to share this good news with somebody? When's the last time? And not only that, and I don't ask that to guilt. I'm asking it because that's the regular rhythm of the scriptures. And if it's been a while, then how about this? How about this? Are there, are there two or three people that you could pray for this week? That you could start praying for this week that don't know Christ? And you would just be praying for their heart? That God would work in their heart? He would soften their heart? And then he would give you an opportunity to share. And then when you share because of your prayers, that they would respond accordingly. They would respond in a saving way. It's been a while since you've shared. That would be my challenge to you this morning. That you would begin praying for two or three people. That God would give you the opportunity to share the good news. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of